This is Science Moab, a radio show exploring the science and learning about the scientists from Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Christina, and on today's show, we talk about the social and ecological impacts of climbing in the Indian Creek area. It's a good show, recorded for you from Moab, Utah. Stay with us. recognize that climbing is wonderful, climbing is changing, climbing is growing. Like many climbers, we're concerned about that, and we think we have some of the skills from doing research elsewhere to address them. Today on Science Moab, we're speaking with Zeke Baker and Steve Thick. Zeke is a PhD candidate in sociology at UC Davis, while Steve is a postdoctoral research ecologist with the University of Colorado Boulder and the USGS here in Moab. The two have teamed up to study rock climbing in the Indian Creek area and the social, ecological, and political interactions of climbers with this fragile landscape. We begin our interview with Zeke explaining what drew them to ask these questions about climbers and their relationships with other groups and the land. I think Steve, as an ecologist, me as a sociologist, are professional researchers first, but we are climbers as probably a very near second in the order of priorities. And we care about the areas that we climb in, and we recognize that Climbing is wonderful, climbing is changing, climbing is growing. Like many climbers, we're concerned about that, and we think we have some of the skills from doing research elsewhere to address them. We've been looking for opportunities to work together and try to do some sort of interdisciplinary work, combining the fields of more hard science and social science, and a good opportunity to work with a friend. Is there a lot of research that's been done on climbers and climbing areas? There has been research done on climbers and on climbing areas. Regarding the impacts of climbing on landscapes, there's research that suggests climbers and outdoor recreationalists of all stripes impact the land that they use. I mean, oftentimes that's cast as in terms of environmental science and for purposes of the management of those impacts. That's part of what we're doing. On the social side of things, not so much. There's no organized literature on the sociology of rock climbing. There's not literature that really does what we're trying to do. Being climbers and, and having this interdisciplinary approach is something that we hope can contribute to social science and this other broader literature on the impacts of climbing. And Zeke, correct me if I'm wrong, there is fairly rich history of climbing and its role culturally and the way it's sort of combined with things like expansion of colonialism, that type of thing. Yeah, so that's an interesting point. I mean, if you look at the history of why people, by people, I mean, especially white men from wealthy countries with colonial histories, why they choose to ascend things in certain times and places and in certain ways that didn't happen in a historical vacuum. So there is a literature that 
connects this desire to climb and ascend mountains and cliffs. There's a literature that embeds that in certain social contexts. We don't think that's really been done with rock climbing in the American West in a way that ties into those larger investigations. You know, that's something maybe marginally we can contribute to. So you mentioned that not a lot of people have done what you're trying to do. So explain to me what what you are trying to do here with this research and this project. Our basic research question is how do climbers interact with the Indian Creek landscape? And I think in order to adequately address that question, you need to problematize or make into a kind of problem what kind of community climbers are, who they are, where they're coming from, what their values are, what organizes them, what experiences they want. And then you have to also problematize or make into a kind of problem what the Indian Creek landscape is. It's both an ecological landscape, it's an environment, and it's a political landscape. It's something of a test case, although it has its unique dynamics. It is a test case of the relationship between the federal and state government and county and levels of governance and various stakeholders that want to use that land and, and see it managed in a particular kind of way. We seek to ask questions about how climbers interact with the landscape in those terms. As well as how climbers interact with each other and sort of some of the internal dynamics that govern the way they interact with the landscape. How do they police each other? How do they transmit norms? That type of thing. And was there a reason you chose to do this at Indian Creek specifically? There's a lot of reasons for that. This area is changing. Indian Creek is within the boundaries of the originally proposed Bears Ears National Monument. Of course, a history before that and continues to be developments around you know what management in that area will look like. That political context is, is of course, really significant given the fragile environment of Indian Creek. And that political and environmental context is intersecting with the burgeoning of climbing culture. And that's very evident among anyone who climbs at Indian Creek that it's been dramatically growing. That's also reflective of broader patterns of the growth of climbing culture, but it's, I think, particularly pronounced at Indian Creek. So we had some personal connection to the landscape as well. It's an area that I've done research and recreated in and so I care about personally and have some connections working here living here in Moab. Another aspect of Indian Creek is its world-class climbing that's growing in terms of popularity but hasn't reached some of the levels we've seen in other places for example Yosemite or Smith Rocks in Oregon. So we feel that Indian Creek is at somewhat of an important juncture and with development and sort of discussions about new management plans for the area. We also hope that some of our work could be useful to those making decisions and engaging discussions over how the landscape is managed in the future. How do you go about asking these questions? Our methods are broadly from sociology and qualitative sociology, which suggests that if you want to understand how people think and how they act, you have to get pretty close to what they're doing while they're acting and what they're thinking in the context that they're making decisions, acting on their values and so on and so forth. So we've taken two fieldwork 
trips down to Indian Creek, one a little bit before Thanksgiving, which is a popular time at Indian Creek, last November, November 2018, and then we were down here again recently in March 2019. We talked to climbers at campgrounds and at the base of the climbs at some of the more famous walls. We would essentially find climbers who looked like they weren't in the middle of something, they weren't super busy, and just basically walk randomly up to them and ask if they'd want to be interviewed. We were quite surprised pleasantly how open and friendly climbers were to being interviewed like this by a stranger, essentially. One of our general policies was to not interview people while they were climbing, nor while they were belaying. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for obvious safety reasons. Interviewing people close to what they were doing while they were doing it was particularly useful in this context as we would just be kind of sitting on the edge of these these cliffs overlooking this really beautiful expanse and asking them to think about how the landscape might change in the future. I think it was a really sort of tactile exercise and really brought out some unique perspectives, which we were quite impressed and intrigued by. What kind of questions were you asking? We were asking them how they experienced Indian Creek, their earliest memories, their first climbing trip, something that often climbers that have even been climbing there a long time can paint a vivid picture of because it is often a very significant spiritual connection to that place. And then we often asked most of those whom we interviewed the role that climbing plays in their lives. For the vast majority of climbers, even those that have recently entered the sport, as well as those that are, are, are veterans of climbing at Indian Creek, climbing is absolutely central to their lives. They attach a lot of meaning to it. They believe that it shapes who they are as a person. So we really wanted to drill down in, into that and see how climbing is a reflection of the values that they hold and an anchor for them personally and socially. After assessing where climbers were coming from in terms of their, their values, we were interested in how they observed impacts of climbing and how maybe their values would inform the way that they interact with the broader climbing community and how they perceive changes in the landscape, how they envision the future, and how they might react to certain types of managing interventions. This research was generally inductive meaning we didn't go in with a hypothesis that we were trying to test. This was not a controlled experiment. Interviews were often only somewhat structured. After our research in November, we started thinking about some additional things that we were uncovering and wanted to know more about. As far as the original questions that you were asking in November, what were the takeaways that you found from your interviews? Our initial findings suggest a basic contradiction in how climbers interact with the landscape. On the one hand, climbers are drawn to a kind of wilderness adventure experience. As it's often conceived, that experience can be encumbered by a lot of people, a lot of infrastructure, a lot of regulations. So the contradiction is that that experience must actively be managed if it's going to persist. At present, we think that climbing is somewhat unsustainable 
in the sense that if you want to preserve that kind of climbing experience, then you actually do need some kind of regulation, some kind of infrastructure. And climbers are actually very reflective about that. Most of them recognize the impacts of climbing. They don't want to see human waste all over the place. They don't want to see the area degraded. They want to see access to those areas preserved. And so they recognize the limits of unregulated, unmanaged wilderness climbing. Our goal then is to take those experiences that climbers have and, and put them out there so that they can be made use of in decision-making so that Indian Creek doesn't become a Yosemite Valley, doesn't become a national park buttressed by this idea of wilderness, but in reality is an urbanized landscape and a traffic jam. Our initial study and line of questioning was broadly focused on how climbers see themselves in a landscape, including how they interact with other user groups, for example, ranching communities, Native Americans, government entities, that kind of thing. And we tended towards a point of saturation in terms of our questioning, what we found, varying degrees of familiarity with both the political situation and cultural situation at Indian Creek. A general sense among those people, for example, who interacted with the ranching community, that there was a positive and strong relationship between those user groups, at least at Indian Creek. However, we, we did find some interesting concepts pop out that we weren't totally expecting and some, some new lines of inquiry that we followed, one of which was the role of social media in climbing and the way that that's changing both the community and the way that the community interacts with the landscape. Another facet that we discovered was people kept talking about the role and the culpability of the recreation industry in driving impacts and profiting from a lot of the drivers that were potentially impacting the landscape. And there's a general sense of uncertainty about the role and the level that climbers' interests and the interests of conservation groups and the interests of the recreation industry are aligned. Most climbers recognize social media and the recreation industry as entities that can enhance the accessibility of climbing, can enhance the way that norms around climbing can be vectors for politics, as we've seen with the role of the outdoor industry in challenging the reduction of Bears Ears National Monument. Climbers are generally positive about the possibility for businesses and social media to engage in those kinds of activities in ways that can support values that are core to the climbing community. That comes with obvious caveats that the open question is, can the commodification of Indian Creek preserve its character? One of the things we found was that the climbers we interviewed were overwhelmingly well-spoken, well-educated, well-informed, and very conscientious people with varying levels of actual direct knowledge about the, the issues, but in general, a shared concern and a shared level of competence and familiarity with these topics. You've mentioned some other places that the management or potentially lack thereof uh, has changed the climbing experience. And I'm wondering, will those places that you mentioned are more music or wetter places than what we have right here in the desert. And I'm wondering if within your questions, you at any point got at the fact that this place is 
potentially more fragile in a lot of ways than others just due to the aridity of these ecosystems. The concept of fragility of desert ecosystems really came out from a lot of the discussions unbidden. There was a high degree of familiarity with at least the concept that desert ecosystems are fragile. And a lot of that has come through things like recently published guidebooks that outline some of the issues related to human impacts on the desert environment. People were familiar with the impacts of human traffic on things like cryptobiotic soils, and then just concerned with issues of expansion of camping areas into new locations. We didn't pull out any more detailed level of parsing of the ecological landscape in our interviews. That would be something that would be really interesting to parse out in future discussions. Although many of the people whom we interviewed are very knowledgeable about impacts and very concerned, I think there's still this tension among climbers. To what extent are you rock-centric, route-centric, and to what extent do you recognize the total environment? Some climbers indicated that as long as the cracks are there, they'll be there. Although that can be paired with a concern for the environment, I think it's also something that needs to be recognized within the climbing community as a potential fault. On the other hand, there were plenty of climbers we encountered for whom climbing was really just a different way of experiencing the landscape in a more somewhat detailed way. Essential to the Indian Creek experience is this feeling of solitude that the vast, open, unurbanized landscapes evoke, who care deeply about things besides just six splitters. What are some of the actual methods that you use to compile data like this? For an interview-based study, which also involves some observation, we record our interviews we roughly sample. What we do is called purposive sampling, essentially trying to sample people that we think can speak to the questions that we're asking. That's why we are in Indian Creek and at the base of popular crags and so on and so forth. So we record those interviews while also taking field notes we will analyze, transcribe, and basically code those interviews and try to pull out the themes. Some of the themes that we're already discussing, although some that we might not have been aware of when we were interviewing. That method is good if you're trying to get at things that other research and your own sort of preconceptions might not be able to get at. Based on what Zeke just said, I think this will be a really useful exercise because there were so many excellent turns of phrases and interesting concepts that were brought up within this vast amount of interview material we have. And this coding procedure, I think, will be really helpful for pulling those out and at the time of compiling, just sort of bringing them all together in one place that we can sort of see them and encounter them as a whole. And I should say that sociological research is essentially premised on the fact that we're not all snowflakes. We have our unique idiosyncrasies, but there are patterns, social patterns that transcend individuals. So we treat people as individuals while we're studying them. But the idea is to be able to pull out broader patterns that exist in a certain place and amongst a climbing community. 
Do you foresee ways that managers and or outdoor gear industries or the climbing community itself and thinking things like Access Fund could use the research that you're pulling together? At least initially, our research has been funded by the American Alpine Club, which along with the Access Fund is very involved and invested in sustainable climbing. And they recognize that that's at something of a turning point, that if climbers want to protect their activities and the access to the areas that they climb in, whether that's because of political challenges to public lands or the growth in climbing generally, that they need to get organized. I mean, we're researchers, we're not activists, at, at least not in this project, but we think that this kind of research is absolutely necessary to those kinds of advocacy efforts. At present, those organizations, they have platforms that are very well informed by the local chapters of their organizations. They have their ear to the ground with respect to the climbing community. We think that social science research can contribute and inform those efforts that are already underway. Our interviewing methodology was explicitly semi-structured. It wasn't a survey. We weren't trying to get data or count yeses or noes on certain questions. However, we did try to shape things in ways that pushed climbers to think about different sort of management alternatives. We hope that managers or other groups reading this material might find useful, at least as a starting point for potentially doing more intensive quantitative surveying and analysis. And I'll just take one example from those whom we interviewed. Most of them don't want cell service to be there in Indian Creek. And you could do that as a yes or no question, but people have very deep reasons for why their Indian Creek experience is enhanced by being away from digital technology and all that comes along with it. That's just one example of how getting people's deeper experiences could inform decision-making around those kinds of issues. Some of our earlier interviews with folks involved in management of the region have expressed a, a real commitment to preserving the Indian Creek experience as a world-class climbing experience. And so part of our work was trying to find out what, what values climbers have that inform that experience and the cultivation of that experience in this landscape. How much climbing did you guys do during this study? <laughs> Not enough. Back in November, we tried to switch on and off between climbing and interviewing, climbing and interviewing. It turns out that climbing takes a certain headspace, which we knew about, that that is generally incompatible with the headspace you need for researching. So we stashed that stuff at the campsite for the days this, this time around in March while we did our research, and then we went and climbed a desert tower to top off the experience. What first got you interested in sociology and then you interested in ecology? What was first got you into those fields? I grew up in Ukraine for most of my life. My experiences of society and culture were generally tumultuous, and I didn't know how to make sense of them. 
So when, thankfully, I was able to go to college and begin to piece that stuff together, sociology happened to be the home for that. Out of that came more questions than answers, so I went to graduate school, and I'm just finishing up my PhD at UC Davis, and it turns out that sociology is really good at raising new questions and trying to find answers to them, so I'm still doing that. I think if you asked most ecologists how they got into it, they'd probably talk about early experiences in nature and just being captivated by the natural world and just wanting to spend all their time interacting with it. And uh, I'm no exception. So that's, that's basically how I started out. And I wanted to find a way to continue to be outside and continue to explore nature in a, a certain way and understand things. And I found ecology to be a really good combination of those things. And I'm, I'm very fortunate to have the opportunity to continue to do it. What do you each enjoy about being scientists? I enjoy learning. I find that wherever you are at, personally, career-wise, if you're learning, then you're moving forward. And if you're learning, then you're good. You can always do it. I enjoy being a social scientist because you get to ask really hard questions and society grants us the credibility and the resources to pursue those questions in a way that can hopefully inform a better world. For me, that's asking questions collectively. I'm a teacher too, so that's asking questions with my students. It's asking new questions with new colleagues like Steve, in this question around the climbing community and the future of Indian Creek. That's a tough question that I think a lot of people want answers to. So we have some skills that can hopefully help. So science allows us the space to use our skills to ask important questions. Well, Zeke and Steve, it was so cool to get to talk to you about the work that you're doing down in Indian Creek. Thanks so much for coming in and talking to us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. This is great. Thanks. To listen to this interview with Zeke Baker and Steve Vick again, or any of our past shows, visit kzmu.org, iTunes, or Stitcher. The music is by Jeremy Spaulding. Funding is provided by the BYU Charles Red Center for Western Studies, and the show is produced by Christina Young, Peggy Hodgkins, and KZMU.